My name is Pastor Jim. I have the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship for 22 years now, and uh, it is an enormous privilege and joy to to serve this congregation and to be a part of the life of this body. And if you, again, if you're new among us, just want to welcome you to our house um, today. And uh, this really is a safe place where strangers become friends and friends become family, and we're just grateful to have you here with us and trust that by the end of the day you'll have gone out feeling like you're part of the family. Um, as a family, we do things, um, you know, we're not just here to uh, sort of put our check marks and uh, go through some certain motions and sort of do some sort of religious uh, exercise here. Um, we are in a relationship with a living God who we believe uh, wants to have a relationship with us. And and we're in a dialogue with him. We're in an ongoing, you know, in a relationship. Uh, we have an opportunity to speak to another. Another has an opportunity to speak to us. Um, and so sometimes it takes some time. And uh, so we're not ashamed of that. Just, uh, again, uh, we, we may end up in a little bit of overtime here this morning. But uh, uh, that's all right. Overtime's great, isn't it? When you football game, basketball game, it's exciting when it goes extra innings. All right. So, and, uh, and I just... Yeah, this was what needed to be today. We just needed to spend time together with him. This is part of that learning to host his presence. Part of, uh, we're not just looking for a visitation, but a habitation of the Lord among us. Y'all looking for that too? Is that all right? Hello? Anybody else? Okay, good. Yeah. We are in halfway into um, a series that we are doing uh, entitled Daring Do. It's right there on the front of your bulletin as well. Um, sort of our uh, keynote uh, phrase here from Eleanor Roosevelt. The world needs dreamers, the world needs doers, but most of all, the world needs dreamers who are doers. And so um, we, in this year to dream, um, are spending some time with some great men and women of God who dared to do some things. And daring do means doing great exploits in the face of ad, ad, opposition sometimes, in the face of adversity, um, but stepping in uh, and doing those deeds of daring do. Now, for the last three weeks, we've looked at, uh, first of all, Romans chapter 15, 4, understanding that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Notice that. Through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, the things that have been written, these stories in the Bible, are not simply sort of dusty memoirs that we sort of blow off the dust and try to, you know, find out a little bit about, you know, through, uh, you know, it's oh, isn't that some interesting historical uh, facts that we find? But no, these are given to us for so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Is somebody here today might need hope. Some of you need hope today. You need a breath from the Lord to breathe into you to give you hope. You need encouragement today to endure and persevere and keep moving on. So we began our series with Abraham, and the title of the message was Get Out. And uh, you, can, you can get all of these messages back in, uh, on the back table, there are CDs of them, as well as the PowerPoint, as well as you can pull them off of the website and would encourage you to do so. Um, 
This was really about don't settle. Don't settle for something less than or else than what God has for you. But in the words of the Lord to Abraham in, in Genesis 12, you need to get out and move out in order that you can walk into the dream that he has for your life. With Gideon, it was step up. Don't shrink back. Don't simply curl into a fetal ball in the face of all of that adversity and difficulty coming your way. But hear the word of the Lord. Mighty warrior. Who? Where? And the word of the Lord came to Gideon, and he understood who his identity was. And then he began to respond out of that identity rather than react to the challenges that he was seeing around him. Thirdly, we have Hannah last week. So grateful for Mark Durkin sharing with us the word of the Lord related to Hannah. Hannah who, who looked up and who, was, who dared to die. Dying to, I mean, she had to lay down and God calls us into that place to look up above what we can see because he wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all we can even ask or imagine. That's his heart towards us. And today, we're going to be looking at the life of David. And in that, we are going to discover how God is involved in our everyday lives. And when we do discover that, it will empower us to dream, to dare, and to do. So the word of the Lord to us this morning is going to be, look around. Remember that scripture from Romans 15, given to us for our encouragement so that we might endure, so that we might have hope. Here's the deal about dreams. Here's some, I, I have a very simple and practical message for us today. And here's the reality of dreams. Dreams come encapsulated in time-release capsules. You might not have known that. But dreams are in time-release capsules. And they unfold over time. From the conception and the birth of that dream that God gives us until the fulfillment, when we see that dream in all of its reality, there is often a long period of time between here and there. In fact, in a macro sense, because you know our, our full dream will be fulfilled upon our physical death, when we see him face to face, we live all our lives. And, and Hebrews is clear about this in the Hall of Faith. In Hebrews 11, they lived as sojourners all their life. We're always in process. Scripture says that we are in the process of being saved. We are saved and we are being saved. Working out our salvation. There's an ongoing process. There's an unfolding that happens in our lives. And so what I want to do this morning is simply give us encouragement while we are on the way. While we're living between the already and the not yet. While the time capsule is still being released in our lives. That's where I want to spend a little bit of time this morning and hear the word of look around. Scripture from the, to kind of settle this for us in Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching to uh, the Athenians. He, he's there in Athens, Greece, and he's speaking, and he's been wandering around, and he noted all of their, uh, you know, their their um, idols to unknown gods and 
and all of those kinds of things. And he's speaking to them and he preaches to them in the context of who they are. And then he uses some of their very own poets and their own words to describe a spiritual reality which is one that is very basic, but which we typically forget in our daily lives. He says, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inherit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. For in him we live and move and have our being. Say that with me. In him we live and move and have our being. Now there's a big theological word which is attached to this reality, and that is that God is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere all the time. I learned this as a kid, and it scared the snot out of me, okay? God's everywhere all the time. Oh, no! He sees everything all the time. Yes. (laughs) It's terrifying when you're a 12-year-old boy. All right. Got, you know, mom's got, you know, 360 eyes, but. But it's not intended to be terrifying. It's intended to be an incredible encouragement to us. And that is, God sees you where you are. In the middle of the muddle sometimes, in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the mistakes, in the middle of the morass of life. He's there with us, right in the midst of what we're walking into and through. Because in Him, we live and move and have our being. Our very breath comes from Him. All that we have, all that we are, is His. We are His. Get this. God actually believes that He owns you. And He does. You're His. We are His. So, He he inhabits and invades and, and infuses all of our life with His presence. But a lot of times, we just don't get that. We don't understand it. We don't grasp it. We can't quite hold on to it because it's, frankly, bigger than what we can really even grab hold of. But it's still true. (laughs) Come with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. You'll notice that David's story, and we're not going to read all of these scriptures because we'd be here... We did read them and saturate. And by the way, we're still going on. We're finishing strong. We're almost there. We're in the minor prophets, quote-unquote minor prophets. That's how they're termed. But uh, tonight we're discussing uh, Hosea and Joel and Amos. And there's some wonderful things in there that we want to encourage you to get a hold of. And then you'll see in the bulletin where we're reading next. And we're coming in for the final stretch. So we just encourage you. And Chad was... Speaking about that earlier and praying about that, just how the saturate, the best time of the day, just hearing the word of the Lord. It's been wonderful for us as a congregation to continue to saturate in the word. So we read 
First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings in the process of saturate. And so some of you read this and some of you are familiar with David's story. And so I'm not going to take a lot of time, but remember that um, Samuel, who was whose son? Who was Samuel's son? Who was he a son of? Hannah, who we heard about last week. So here's the fulfillment of Hannah's dream uh, coming through in Samuel. Samuel becomes a great prophet, anoints Saul as king over Israel, and then um, the anointing lifts off of Saul and Samuel is instructed by the Lord to find another to anoint as king. And so he goes to the house of Jesse in 1 Samuel 16 and uh, to look for a new king. And he gets there and um, he's, you know, he go, goes to Jesse and the Lord says, I'm going to show you who it is. And so he comes and he uh, first, first boy off the, the press here is Eliab and and says, you know, surely this must be the one. I mean, he's tall, he's handsome, he's strong, he's firstborn. This is the boy. And God says, no, not this one. He goes through all of Jesse's sons, and God doesn't say, you know, God's up there going, mm-mm, mm-mm, not this one, all right? Samuel's waiting for the mm-hmm, hasn't found it yet, all right? But then... He says, is there any others? And he says, well, there's the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's out tending sheep, Samuel said. Send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. Verse 12, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was ruddy, fine appearance, handsome features. And then the Lord says, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel then went to Ramah. So, Here's the anointing. So David is being anointed as king. And everybody's going to just rise up around him and the dream is going to come true. Right here, right now, today. Mm, Not so much. So you watch the story unfold and David is brought into Saul's service. Saul's having spiritual and psychological and emotional issues. He's struggling. He's having a hard time. The evil spirit comes upon him. He has difficulties. He's tormented. And the only thing that will calm him is David and his harp and his singing. And so David comes and ministers to Saul. And then in chapter 17, the great story of David and Goliath. And we know about uh, the champion of the Philistines and the you know, and, and, and how he's been taunting the armies of Israel for many, many weeks, and nobody's gone out against him. And finally, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he, would, that he would mock the God of the universe. I mean, come on, guys, let's go. So he goes out, five smooth stones, boom, takes down Goliath, cuts off his head. You know the rest of the story, all right? So David... Uh, the, the power of David is the power of the Lord on David. And in 18, after David had finished uh, speaking then with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him in himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made the covenant with him. And now um, David's coming home and men, you know, he's returning after David had killed the Philistine, verse 6. And the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs with tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang, 
Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. Well, that's not something off in Saul, right? Bitterness, which turned into envy and jealousy, which turned into anger and malice and rage. You know, David, he's the, he's the new guy. The Spirit of God is on him. You know, he's the Chris Tomlin. His songs are in the top 40 on the radio. Everybody loves David's music. He's a warrior. He's a, he's a future king. And Saul's like, I got to get rid of this boy. So, now we've got, now it turns into sort of a spaghetti western for the next several uh, chapters, you know chasing around, they're in the desert, they're in the crags, they're in the caves, they're in the, they're all over Saul trying to take down David. He comes against him with a thousand, three thousand, actually it's with three thousand, David and three, I mean Saul and three thousand of his soldiers. Finally it, it comes down to this and David with six hundred and it's five to one against David coming to seek him, to destroy him, and to kill. How many of you know that the enemy comes only to seek to steal, kill, and destroy? That's what he's after. That's what he's about. And I don't know, do you think ever in the midst of all of this, David ever wondered... God, what's going on? Do you ever think he went back to the day that Samuel came and anointed his head with oil and said, you're going to be the king? Do you ever think he was one, and he was like, um, do you ever think he had one of those questions? Do you ever have questions for God? Uh, I do. Okay, Lord, um, this is not making a lot of sense right now. Could you please help me sort this out? But in the midst of those times, I think God, and here's the word for this morning again to our hearts, is He's calling us to look around. But sometimes it's hard to look around because there's obstacles before our eyes which keep us from seeing what He's doing. In Him we live and move and what? Have our being. But it's hard to see that, isn't it? It's just difficult. And there's some very specific obstacles that uh, are in our lives that keep us from seeing. There's distraction. Sometimes we're just distracted by the familiarity of things. I don't know when the last time you thanked God for your breath was. Okay? Sometimes it's a little harder in the morning when you smell it, you know, but... Ah. But the fact that you woke up this morning breathing is because in Him you live and move and have your being. Our very breath, the very fact that we're here. There's so much that we are so familiar with that we don't see it anymore. Anybody else ever struggle with just not seeing any, some things anymore? Or is it just me? You just don't see them because they're so familiar to you. The pace of life. Okay? Anybody else find that sometimes the pace of life can cause distraction in your life? It's hard to see God. Sometimes when you're running pell-mell, 
down the road of life. It's hard to see Him. Inattentiveness. We all struggle with sad. Spiritual attention deficit disorder. Right? We all have sad. Because we just are inattentive. We don't see what He's up to. I mean, the famous picture, poor Martha, she gets a lot of heat. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Him and said, Lord, don't You care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. Martha's mind was filled with, the word there in the Greek is turbazo. It's, it's, that turbo, it's like turbocharged ah, thoughts just flying around in her head. I don't know if that happens to you. It happens to me all the time. i got busy mind disease. All right, My mind's always going. It's hard to focus on the one thing when there's 8 million things that are seeking for your attention. A divided life is another place. Compartmentalization. This is huge. This is something that, that I've you know, been intentional about in my own life for years and years and years. We break down our lives so much into certain compartments. We have the sacred compartment and the secular compartment. And so... Here's what we do on Sunday morning, and this is one compartment, and then what we do at work is another compartment, and what we do in our family is another compartment, and our recreation is another compartment. We have all of these compartments in our lives. God doesn't look at it that way. That's not biblical. It's just not. God wants to be, you know, we've, we've, we've done a message on this several times. You know, we did a whole series around God at the center of the wheel. He's not just a priority list. He's at the center of the priority wheel. And everything that we do is to be centered in Him. In fact, even more, I was just reading this yesterday. I was telling that this was so good. More than, more than a life of prayer, God wants you to live a life of prayerfulness, which is a matter of the heart posture before him that all that I do because pray without ceasing well how am I going to do that and do my job well if you understand that God is present with you in your job all that you are doing is part of your prayer to him your whole life is one of prayerfulness not this divided life there's a lack of focus we easily get distracted okay Remember the, some of you have seen the movie Up. I love the movie Up. Okay, but it's a wonderful movie. Yeah, my son's seen Yeah, we love the movie Up. The, the dogs, squirrel. Squirrel. We, we do that around our house. Squirrel. All right. We just lose focus. You know, we're going on this and squirrel. Ooh, what's that shiny thing over there? All right. Divides our heart. Divides our life. Double-mindedness. This is where there's this place in us that, well, it, it says here in James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave in the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That, mind, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all he does. So when we as women and men are double-minded, when there's this place in us, there's like a... Um, 
there's like a wall between what God has said and what we are experiencing, and we can't quite get the two together, and, and we're unstable. I believe, you know, it's, and, and all of us are there, and I love, I love that in the scripture when, um, you know, when, when the one who's needing healing or healing for his son comes to the Lord and says, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. It's okay when we bring that to him. Let's bring that to the Lord and let him give us an undivided heart. That's one of my prayers continuously is, Lord, give me an undivided heart. I don't want to compartmentalize. I don't want to lose focus. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to have a single heart. One more is our distance from God, which can come through rebellion and idolatry. Let's be honest. Um, my, you know, I have four kids, and my kids will always be my kids. And I will love them, you know, unendlessly. I, I, I love my kids. All right? And, and they're always going to be in relationship to me, and I will always be their father. And by the way, I'm going to be a grandfather too. Oh, yeah, you already know that. So, so and I'll always be that little one's grandfather. And will love them endlessly. However... Through years, and you know, my oldest is 27, my youngest is 12. There are times when, when distance can come, you know, when, when, when our fellowship together, our, our actual relational connections can sometimes be stressed or strained. By God's grace, they're not. At this point, everybody's good and, well, they're not physically close, but they're all, we're all close. But there are moments where distance can come. That can happen with us with God. Sometimes it happens because of our rebellion or our idolatry. Man, we've been reading the prophets. Ho. Oh. Oh. Ho. It's sobering, people. I don't know what it's doing to you, but it's working in my heart. Oh, God, I don't want to be there. Oh, but we don't do idols here. Really? Hmm. Let's take a look at, a little more closely at that in our culture. Hmm. Another way that we can have distance from God, and this is in our perception, is through those desert times. There are times when it feels as if God is absent. He's not, but it feels like it to us because we're walking through desert times. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time at all, you've experienced desert times, or you will. It doesn't mean God doesn't like you anymore. There's something new that's going on that he's doing in you, but it can cause us not to see. And... And David says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there's no water, it creates in us a desire and a hunger to see him and to draw nearer again. All right. So how do we overcome these obstacles to seeing? Well, the first thing is, is we need to put on some new lenses. We need to put on new lenses. In fact, we need to put on those 50-20 lenses. You intended to harm me. We just finished this series of messages on Joseph, which I'd encourage you to get, called Living the Dream. Um, and, and the last message was having 50-20 dream vision. You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Uh, frequently it's in hindsight, but God, help us to see, even with foresight, into what you are doing when I can't see, when it seems like everything is going and, you know, I'm out in the desert, I'm wandering around, or David's out there in the middle of whatever, all of the stuff, but God was still with him. He needed to have that 50-20 vision that was understanding that God had a larger purpose, even in the midst 
of difficulty and adversity. All right? Curiosity. Um, Moses, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Sometimes just having a divine, a, a curiosity, a wonder. God, show me today. We pray a lot. My wife and I, Annette and I, pray a lot out of Psalm 86. We pray this for our kids consistently. We pray it for others as well. You've probably been prayed for with this. I pray for us. The psalmist there says, give me a sign of your goodness. We pray for signs of goodness to show up in the lives of those we love. But we're going to see those signs when we're curious, when we begin to look around for what he's doing. Discernment. We need to have discernment. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. That is amazing. I mean, that statement right there. I don't know. We could unpack that for a year and probably not unpack it fully. We have the mind of Christ, which means that we actually can see. Because... Jesus saw. He saw what the Father was doing. In fact, he only did what he saw the Father do. Discernment and intimacy. Intimacy is so important. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And it comes out of knowing Him. may give you the spirit of wisdom so that you may know Him better. You ever watched a mob? And not a literal mob, but a, just a, like a mob of people at a beach. And suddenly you hear a voice of a child saying, Mama! And immediately one mom stands up. Boom. She knows the sound of her child's voice. Because it doesn't sound like any other. Or the children are all out there doing their thing and you hear, Son! And one boy looks up and says, Hmm, I think I know that voice. Right? When we know him, the more we know him, the better we're able to hear his voice. Does that make sense? This is not, you know, rocket science here, but it is important. Ongoing discipline of seeing. All right? The ongoing discipline of seeing. Let's take a look at 1 Samuel 24. We're just coming in for a landing here. I'm going to give you a very practical thing to do, but let's, let's just... So they're, they're out running around. I'm going to give you a practical example of David looking around and seeing. Okay, so this won't take long. Let me just unfold this quick. So after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now this is a literal place. You know, it's... The crags and the warrens and the caves and all of this stuff. It's a wild area over there. 
Um, and, you know, it's, it, but it was a place where there, were, there was actually water. I mean, you're in a desert, but there were certain places, of course, where there was oases of water, and so he found this place of water. In verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the wave. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Okay? So he's at the rest stop. Okay? I mean, the Bible's pretty clear here. All right? So he's in the cave. The men are out there. And what's happening is, is that David and his men were far back in the cave. So Saul prepares to relieve himself. And so he's probably there and he's got his, you know, let's, whatever. You're, you're following? Okay? His trousers are around his ankles. His robe is out here. All right? I don't know the, you know, we talk about sitting on the throne, so I don't know if that's Saul, the king. All right? But he's sitting. Robes are around him. David and his men are there. And... Men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. The guys are saying, this is the moment. Kill him. David just cuts off a corner of his robe. And afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe and said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground and said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lift up my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of robe, of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I'm not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he vindicate, may he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. And when David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You're more righteous than I. You've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You've just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul, and then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This, of course, the promise here is the promise of Meshibapheth, and the, you know, the, the Lord, David kept this promise to Saul later in his life. But what I want you to notice is here is that, I mean, this is one of those things, it's not a coincidence, in the words of Hollis, uh, 
Pastor Hollis, who was an associate here, used to call about godsidences. I mean, Saul ended up in the exact same cave where David and his men were hiding and he's in a totally vulnerable place, an opportunity that was given, but it became an opportunity for David not to do what his men thought he was going to do to kill him, but an opportunity for him to try to turn Saul's heart. Now, ultimately, it did not, but it gave him an opportunity to say, no, here is my heart. My heart is true. I do not have a divided heart. My heart is not in rebellion against you or against the Lord, but here is what I have done. What do you want to do about that? And we need to begin to look for those godsonances. We need to look into our story. Many years ago when we would do spiritual adventures, one of the adventure disciplines we would sometimes do was to go on a daily God hunt. I would encourage you to continue to do that. Some of you do that and have made that an ongoing discipline in your life. It's a wonderful thing to look for answers to prayer. Look for evidence of God's care. Look for unusual linkages or timings. Look for, God, for help to do God's work in the world. Look in the ways... At the end of your day, do an examine where you come back and look over your life and say, during this day, where did I see you at work, Lord? Where did I experience your grace and your care? Where did I see unusual linkages or timings happen? I mean, that happens to me a lot. Where have I seen specific answers to prayer? Where have you given me help to do your work in the world? And as you begin to look around, you will be encouraged and have the endurance to continue to pursue the dream that God has placed within you that has not yet been fully fulfilled. And what's the outcome? Well, the outcome is in Psalm chapter 57. And if the worship team would come up, that'd be great. This is written for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David and Miktam when he fled from Saul into the cave. So he fled from Saul into the cave back in 1 Samuel 22 and again here in 24. I don't know, it's one of the Psalms. We don't know exactly when David prepared this Psalm, but he did it while he was in that place. Between where he had been called to be, you know, between the, 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 the conception of the dream and the fulfillment of the dream, while he's hiding in the cave, the king, the future king of Israel, hiding and he says, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp words. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all of the earth. You see, when we look around, we begin to see God's purposes are fulfilled. Our God-given dreams are coming true. His kingdom is being established and extended. And His name is exalted. 
Lord, open our eyes to begin to look around to see beyond the circumstance to your face and the reality of what you're doing. Hi. Um, In this year of dreams, uh, God gave me a dream that I haven't shared with anybody yet. It happened on, the dream happened on uh, Sunday, February 19th. After I returned home from Saturate that night, I was feeling pretty ill, and I had a dream. uh, And I saw that we were here in a church service in Bethel. And uh, I've been waiting to see when would that dream take place. I believe that today's service may be the fulfillment of that dream, so that's why I'd like to share what I saw. I saw that around the front of the altar sanctuary area, burning coals. And I know that those of you who are here with us for the season of Lent, uh, we had some red and orange lights up here to signify burning coals at the front of the altar. I had a dream that God would show up in a big way in this service and that a lot of people would be called up to the front of the sanctuary and that they would be set on fire by these burning coals. And that the word of instruction that I was given in this dream that I thought that maybe I was supposed to share, but I didn't have to today because Pastor Jim shared it for us, so he must have been hearing something as well, was that um, the people who were up at the front would need to be instructed to go back to the people who were sitting at the back of the sanctuary and pray for them. Because I think God's purpose in that, what he was showing was that he wants you to take that fire that he's placed in your heart. He set you on fire for a purpose of setting other people on fire. It's not enough for him to have a few people at the front who are set on fire by his presence. He wants everybody who attended this service today to be set on fire for him. Mm, amen. amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Can we stand together? We're going to close here now, but if you just remain while we sing the song, and if you'd like to come to this altar this morning, I'm going to invite you to do so. If you're in the middle between, if you're in that in-between place, that liminal place between where you are and where you're going to be, where you've been and where you're going to be, and where you are right now, and you just need to look around and see God at work in that place. If you want scales to be removed from your eyes, if you want to begin to see, if you just need just a fresh, just a fresh awareness of His presence with you, that in Him you live and move and have your being, would you just step out and come as we sing this, and then I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication and benediction to send us on our way and commission us. But come, come this morning and cry out to the Lord. For his hand of mercy. Still open your hands. Lord Jesus, you are so good. You are our hope and our salvation. You are our strength, our fortress, our rock. Your glory extends over all the heavens and over all of our life. Lord Jesus, we have no other to turn to than you. 
So with hands open, Lord, we receive your goodness today in our lives. And I pray that you would be filled afresh this day, this hour, this moment. Afresh. With the in measurable love of God the Father. May the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son wash over your life right now. May the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit flood your soul today. That as you go from this house to yours, you may go under the banner of His favor. Sent to make disciples of all nations. Until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home. I bless you, people of God. Go in the goodness of the Lord and see the signs of His goodness all around you. This day and every day. Look for Him. He's there. He's with you. Be encouraged. Endure. Persevere. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.